next over WOR New York. Palisades Amusement Park, drinks all day and after dark, ride the coaster and get cool in the waves of the pool, you are fun, so come on over, yeah gang, oh wow, swim in the world's largest outdoor saltwater pool at Palisades Amusement Park, greater than ever, that was real nice, wasn't it, Palisades, isn't it awful what man will do to earn a living? Here I am singing the Palisades Amusement Park jingle. How am I going to answer to my maker for that one? When you... you, 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 you <laughs> have you ever thought of, of, of your daily grind? You know, whatever it is that you do in your life. 
Has it ever occurred to you that it could conceivably be that when you arrive before the vast bar of justice, what you've been doing every day to earn a living will be considered a sin? (laughs) Here you are, you know, you're out at the... Happy Flugelman, you know, the uh, <laughs> Happy Flugelman, the hungry Armenian used car lot out there on the Queens Boulevard, see? And you're selling all them Oldsmobiles, <laughs> all those uh, 46 Pontiacs and stuff, you know, with the, with the balsa wood transmissions. Day after day after day, you're grinding it out. And every night you come home, you feel like you've done an honest day's work. You sit down on your, on your paisley couch. You say, oh, wow. <sighs> Man. Tough day. Finding a... Hey, Madge, you finally got rid of that 53 Galaxy. <laughs> Gee. You know, the one with only three cylinders, yeah. Finally got, got rid of it, yeah. Yeah, this uh, Baptist minister came in, and oh, man, was he a patsy. I got rid of it, yeah. And all of a sudden... Boom! You find yourself sliding through this great, vast, pearly tunnel... And then there's a great puff of smoke. And there you stand before an enormous desk that reaches thousands of miles into the air. And at the top of the desk, you can see, barely observable, against a swirling cloud of pearly white, beautiful clouds, you see a vast figure with a gigantic beard. It was all true. All that stuff I never believed. My God, it's true. You say to yourself, you know, now you begin to immediately ad lib. What am I going to do? And that vast, vast figure begins to speak. Clarence Applerod. Apple Apple of 16, 22 and a third, 49, 27, 6, SJ7, Utopia Parkway, Queen. You have arrived before the vast bar of justice. You will now pay for the crimes you have perpetrated during your earthly mortal life upon the earth that you have just left. There you are, you're sweating. My God, it was all through. All that stuff they taught at Sunday school. He really does have a book. We now look at the vast book of records under A. Appleroth, Charles Watanabe Appleroth, late of 1622 and a third, 6SJ7, Utopia Parkway, Queen who has departed departed this mortal globe this instant. instant. What do you say say on your behalf? behalf. Charles Charles W. W. Applerod. I'll tell you, sir. What do I say on my behalf? Well, uh... Well, I never did nothing wrong. I, I, uh... I mean, you know, I, I never cheated on Mabel... Um, never smoking a pot. <laughs> they, can't, they can't accuse me of smoking pot. I didn't smoke a pot. Uh, uh, I didn't go to none of them dirty movies on 42nd Street. I walked past all of them, and I always, you know, I never went in once. 
Uh, uh, I voted for Eugene McCarthy. Uh, uh, well, I never did nothing wrong, really wrong. Well, a couple of times, you know. <laughs> one time I, uh, well, I will admit, one time when I was a kid, I, I, one time I was in a store and I, uh, I stole a screwdriver. I, I remember that. I stole a screwdriver and, and, uh, well, I was sorry, though. I was sorry. I'll tell you, I've been sorry ever since. So I have repented, actually. And, um, well, I never really did nothing wrong. <laughs> I guess you're going to find me okay, Judge. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. And by the way, uh, listen, uh, I have some friends down at City Hall. If you want to find out, if you want to ask, uh, about me, uh, uh, why don't you call down to City Hall, ask for Big Al in the parole department. It's damn all right. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, he's my brother-in-law. Yeah, uh, Al Cloverman. Yeah, ask for him. You need to stand up for me. I'm, I'm okay. Because you really have lived a good, exemplary life. And then the voice passes judgment. Charles Applerot, we find you guilty of heinous crimes. Ultimate, Ultimate sin, sin. You, have you have broken, broken. Commandment, commandment number, number three. three. Thou, Thou sellest, sellest not. not, 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 not. Use, Use automobiles, automobiles with bad, bad transmissions. Transmission. Thou, Thou hast, hast sinned hast innumerable sinned times, times against, 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 against your God-given morality by constantly observing reruns of the I Love Lucy program, which we consider an ultimate sin against beauty and truth. You have endlessly attended New York Knicks basketball games, paying upwards of $50 extra for seats, you have, you have continually, continually, if not if constantly, constantly refused refuse to read a book. Read a book. So we so can we only can consign, only consign you, you to the eternal fire! And the next thing you know, Charlie is sliding down a fiery chute. And there he is with all the other TV viewers. who sat there mindlessly, endlessly watching endless reruns of endless, endless reruns of endless rerun, 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 reruns. Down there in the fiery hell of the ancient river sticks with the great roaring clouds of brimstone and fire ranging over his head as he stokes the eternal damnation on hellfire and the devil himself is in charge. Ha ha! Get going there! Pull it! You have come down at long last. You will pay. 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 That concludes tonight's sermon. 
That concludes tonight's religious drama, brought to you by the Religious Drama Society of Upper Manhattan, Queens, and Pelham Parkway. Once again, the station has fulfilled another of its public service foundational grants. Copies of the script are available upon request. your name and address to Damnation in care of this station. I repeat the address, Damnation in care of this station. said there's a lot of bad news on tonight's show and uh i i have a note here i don't know whether you missed it but uh for all you nature cuckoos out there and there are many of them and everybody kind of thinks you know nature's fantastic and benign thing it's only man that's evil anybody that's spent much time in nature knows that's a crock of you know what As a matter of fact hey did you see that great cartoon i saw a cartoon the other day of a guy standing on a dock in fact, there's two guys standing on the dock, see, and they have this big, tremendous shark, an enormous shark, hanging up by its tail. And uh, one of the guys is obviously a reporter. He's got a camera, and he's got a notebook and all that. He's been interviewing this fisherman who's standing beside the shark. And it's a junk, fantastic shark. And uh, the guy who's been interviewed is saying, uh, but uh, if I... If I subtract the weight of my wife, it won't be a world's record. <laughs> Speaking of sharks, this is WOR New York. And uh, we'll be here for a while. You don't think we're nibbling around your hawks, do you? Oh, I'll tell you, friend. But the, what I wanted to say here is if you missed this little piece here from the United Press, Oh, good old friendly nature laying another one on you. Listen to this one. Evil-tempered bees. I want you to hear this, Fred. Now listen, will you? Turn it up. Evil-tempered bees that sting men and beasts simply for the apparent pleasure of causing pain <laughs> are about to invade North America. Now... You know, it's always considered. You know, one of the great one of the great misconceptions that people have. I've heard this many times, and and zoologists that I know, many zoologists. I've had a couple of friends who've been involved with zoology all their life, and and uh, one of the great misconceptions that the average walking around lay person believes is that man is the only creature that say one kills for pleasure. This is believed by most people. Well, there are many animals that kill, apparently, for just the kicks of killing something else. Not not for food. Just because it's there, and they kill it. Uh, one of the other misconceptions <laughs> is that uh, animals never do anything for pleasure. Apparently, they never do anything for pleasure. They only do things for utilitarian reasons, like... Uh, you know, that you sting a man because the man has come there and he's bothering you, so you sting him, right? 
Well, I repeat, listen to this piece from the United Press. Evil-tempered bees that sting man and beast, not just man, you know, for the apparent pleasure of simply causing pain. So they get a kick out of making you jump and scream and fall down and hit your head on the rocks, uh, causing pain, threatened to invade America. The African bees migrated from their native land to Brazil in 1956 and spread rapidly over an area which is about equal to the size of the continental United States. Like, fantastic they spread. In fact, when I was down in South America just a couple of years ago, you remember I was down in Peru, the great fear in Peru at that time, and I don't think I ever mentioned this, was the, was the fear that these bees were going to eventually move into the Peruvian area. Well, now, they're all over Brazil. It's about the size of America. He says, this warning about a possible invasion northward came from Dr. M.J. Ramsey, a research scientist at the Agricultural Department. He announced that $40,000 in contingency funds will be made available at the urgent request of the American Beekeeping Federation to study the problem and to see what can be done to prevent its spread into Central and North America. Now, you know, you're sitting out there saying you, you would never think that the American Beekeeping Association would have anything to do with your life. Well, these are guys that are experts on bees. You know, this is their whole thing. And they're frantically getting after the government to, you know, get ready for this thing. And the man, ultimately, oh, wow, these are bad mothers. It says, North American bees, now they're the ordinary kind of bees that you have, see, uh, varieties of Italian and German strains. You know, you never think in terms of the bee as having a nationality. Well, actually, or any animal for that matter. You, know, you think of the polar bear, he comes from... Uh, you know, he comes from the Arctic. But you never think of the polar bears being basically a Russian. You know, the, that all polar bears today, almost without exception, live in Russia and are Russians? <laughs> That's true, you know. But nevertheless, the North American bees, which are varieties of Italian and German strains, are comparatively pleasant. They will not attack unless a possible intruder is at the hive, and they are gentle when they swarm. You ever seen swarming bees? You know, they make a big thing. It's, uh, it looks like a looks like a big furry football, you know. And, uh, they, 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 you know, they just swarm and they move along through the, the air. Boy, I'll tell you, that that's a fantastic sight. If you've never seen bees swarming, I know you have, George, but a lot of people haven't living here in the city. They, do, they really don't know what, what... It's really a wild sight. I think it's one of the most interesting sights in, in all of nature. And I remember one time when... And th this is happening everywhere. It's happening out in Westport. It's happening every place around here if you're in the area where it's happening. But uh, I remember one time uh, I was out on a lake fishing. This is only a couple of years ago. I was out on the lake and uh, up in Maine. And uh, I was floating along there in shallow water. And I suddenly hear this, this sound in the air. Just this, uh, When bees are swarming, there's a curious sound like, uh, well, it's like an approaching fleet of multi-engine bombers. That's the way it sounds. It doesn't sound like a bee. Because, you know, there are thousands of them all together doing this. So multiplied by thousands, the sound becomes another sound. It, it just doesn't sound like a bee. and just a... It's steady, with a very faint throb in it. I look around, and it seems to come from all directions. That's the hard thing about it. It doesn't just come right out from one spot. You know, just hear the sound. It's up in the lake there, you know. 
shallow water. The water's about four feet deep, and I'm casting for bass or something. I'm like, what the heck is this thing? Mm, I think it's some fantastic, big, giant, unbelievable boat. <laughs> it's coming around the point there. Mm, it's going. It's a heavy, roaring sound. And I see, off by the shore, moving out over the water slightly, what looked like a black cloud. Just all a black cloud. It kept moving, like a, like a moving black cloud. You've seen this, George. I couldn't believe it. There I see this cloud. It was a big thing. Big, big baby. See, to, yeah, I would say that uh, this swarm was about... Uh, I, I don't have any... I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to get all kinds of... Uh, Letters from uh, B people telling me how wrong I am about everything, but I'm just observing what I saw, I think, uh, through the totally unsophisticated eye. Well, anyway, this cloud looked like it was about four or five feet across. Tremendous cloud came out, and it moved along the shore, and here I am sitting about nine feet from the shore with the, you know, the boat, see, and it's moving right past me. They didn't pay any attention to me at all, and I saw what it was. It was a tremendous crowd of bees, and they were swarming, and they do. They swarm. They just make... They just make a great swarm, and they move. Well, these bees moved down the shore, just like they knew where they were going. Just moved down the shore. And they, they, they went right past me. They were about, oh, 10, 15 feet from me. I just sat there and watched it. It drifted on past me. They went about, oh, I'd say 200, maybe 300 feet up the shore. And then they made a left turn. <laughs> I don't know why. They just made a nice left turn, and they disappeared into the woods. And I can hear them in the distance. They disappear. Now, you know what a, what, a, what a beekeeper does when he sees one of those? He can take the entire swarm, so he can capture them. And uh, the, the, the beekeeper catches this swarm, and they swarm all over him, and he just knows how to do it. And they don't sting him or anything, really. And he just takes this entire swarm, and he takes them back to the bee nest, and they just go right in. And uh, now he's got a new swarm of bees. These are honeybees, see. Well, those bees are comparatively benign. That's the kind of bee that most people see. Not so. The African bee. These swarms that move will attack humans or animals as far away as 200 yards with no apparent provocation. They just come after you, man. That's what that translates into... <laughs> you know, hey, it's just moving, see. According to published reports, there have been several people, most recently a young woman, completely stung to death. I mean, you're just dead. That's it. This is not just getting a bee sting. They just go like mad. They pursue you, and they just sting you to death. African bees have a great capacity for swarming, it is said. And the stronger the colonies, the bigger it gets. It's just like cities, like people cities. Listen to this. The... Larger the colony, the stronger the colony, the meaner and more irritable are its members. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's right. It's just perfect description of New York. Perfect description. <laughs> I'll tell you it's the truth. And they go on. He says, if swarms unite in flight, and then what happens is these swarms get together. See, if you have, you know, a big swarm over here on the left side of the field, a big swarm over here in the middle, and another swarm over in the woods, and they see each other, you know, the next thing you know, they say, all right, let's get together, friends, and let's give it to them. When they get together, as they often do, they become almost unbearably aggressive and then are ready to attack. The queen bee lays up to 5,000 eggs a day, compared with 2,000 
by the North American or, you know, the Nebish bee, making it easy for them to develop strong colonies practically overnight. You know, you lay, you lay down 5,000 eggs a day for a couple of weeks, and you got a lot of bees. You know, and they, they, they hatch in about eight minutes. They, in, they inevitably take over the hives of their unwilling hosts. Uh, the bees made their South American home in remote, sparsely populated areas of Brazil, but the Agriculture Department recently received an unconfirmed report that the African bee has been sighted in Panama and heading north. They say that they will migrate overland to the United States almost assuredly within the next few years. Now, you know, Rich, I, uh, have, you been, have you been following animal news at all? I mean, news that's taking place in the zoological world as opposed to a picture in the daily news of a cat that is being rescued by a fireman, which is apparently staged inevitably. There's always one in the, in the news about that. But, I mean, real animal news. Well, one of the most interesting things that zoologists have reported in the last, uh, in the last 25 years is the increasing movement north of what were basically tropical South American and Central American animals. This has been an increasingly observed phenomenon. Now, they say that there's a lot of reasons for this. One reason is this, uh, that, uh, for one, there has been a noticeable warming of, of uh, North America in certain areas. In short, the temperatures are changing, and so they're moving north. But there's other things, and some of them they don't even understand. Now, do you know what one of the most interesting of them all is? Is the invasion of the armadillos throughout Florida. Now, you, you've seen the armadillo. Well, the armadillo is basically a South American animal and uh, has, moved, it has moved up through the through uh, Central America and so forth. And, and it used to be that, you, that armadillos would be caught in places like Texas and, uh, and uh, places, in other words, that adjoined Mexico. They'd, they'd find armadillos. Well, now uh, a friend of mine is down in uh, Gainesville. He's a doctor. And uh, he happens to be a, a, an outdoor kook. And uh, one of his favorite things is to go out at night with a flashlight. Just go out, you know. Turn on the lights out in any field, and there's about 25 armadillos running around. It's like there's, like there's uh, 50 armor-plated footballs out there, <laughs> you know, running around. Have you ever seen an armadillo? A strange-looking animal. Well, they're practically invading Florida and moving north. They're moving up into places like uh, Georgia and Alabama. They're moving slowly north. And I would say that it will not be unusual in a couple of years if all of a sudden one day some guy out in Yonkers, you know, wakes up and says, what the hell? You know, what's that thing out there? And the next thing you know, coming out of the weeds is going to be an armadillo. <laughs> and, and he ain't escaped from the zoo. Now, that isn't the only one. Uh, there have been some of the greater cats have been observed, have been moving north. Uh, cats, jaguars, for example, certain types of jaguars that uh, basically were Central American, have been slowly moving north in their range. Now, uh, the, uh, of course, uh, insects, uh, this, is, this is something else again. But the idea of, well, can you imagine what would happen uh, if, if somebody brought in, and somehow he got over here, if, if tsetse flies began to, you know what this is? This is a, the sleeping sickness fly. It's a 
famous. Yeah, that's the one that uh, is a fantastic problem in Africa. If he began to settle, say, in places like Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> well, what do you think the walking catfish is? You heard of the walking catfish down there. In, uh, it, it's all throughout Florida now. And, and uh, I was down there here a few months back. And I'll give you a report on it. That uh, right now, the, uh, the State Department of Fisheries in Florida feels that the catfish, walking catfish scourge, is now reached the point where they can say that there are millions now. They're, in the, they're numbered in the millions. And, and it, it all started with one guy. And they know who he is, one guy. One guy has a tropical fish business down there. And uh, he has a place where he grows tropical fish. He doesn't just go out and catch them. He grows them. And he has ponds. And uh, he's one of the big tropical fish wholesalers. So uh, he, he got the idea one day that uh, he was going to bring in a, a pair. He was going to have this pair as a curiosity, pair of, uh, of, uh, of, up to that point, rare in America, walking catfish. Now, the walking catfish is, uh, is something else again. First of all, he's almost impossible to kill because he can make any scene. I mean, if you can imagine a fish that can walk, man, there's hardly any way you can deal with this guy. He's amphibious. So uh, the catfish, if, uh, if, you, if you decide you're going to do something about the walking... Now, why would you want to get rid of them? Well, there's a reason, because the walking catfish has a voracious appetite. He eats like, uh, like fantastic. And what does he eat? Other fish. So you get a couple of walk and, and is tremendously prolific and has no known natural enemies. So the, the walking catfish, very tough, see. A couple of these guys, they, they, uh, they enter the lake, and they look very innocent. So the next thing you know, they got about 17,000 young walking catfish running around, and then they're ready to go into action. See. With that, they blow the whistle, and the crowd moves out through the weeds. And within 15 minutes, forget it, the perch are gone. Within uh, another 12 and a half minutes, the bluegills are on their way out. Then they start on a bass. <laughs> then after they eat everything in the lake, see, there's nothing but walking catfish. Now numbering about 45,000 in the lake, see. So one of them says, the place is getting awful crowded. So long, gang. And the next thing you know, he's got on his Bermuda shorts, he's packed his sack, and he's hitchhiking down US-12. He's heading for the next lake. Well, then he does it all over again. Well, this is what happened in Florida. Two of them got away, literally got out of his, this guy's pond. And within, uh, within weeks, they were in all the canals down there, and they're slowly moving north. Well, there, there's a case see, that, uh, of, of, uh, <laughs> of nature. And, uh, this is the, this is the, now, it is believed, of course, by many people. Now, the only reason I'm talking about this tonight, a lot of, a lot of innocent people, usually city people, believe that man is the only creature. You even see it on commercials that, that wrecks the ecology of an area. Forget it. Man is the only creature that worries about preserving the ecology of his area, too. Remember that. So the, uh, the catfish, the walking catfish, can literally destroy the ecology of, of an entire area within a very short time. Now, how does he destroy this? Well, he also destroys the bird life there. Now, how's this done? Well, because many of the birds, particularly uh, some of the wading birds, say, for example, down in Florida, like egrets and herons and so forth, they feed on minnows of fish, which he destroys. The next thing you know, uh, he's, he's eating all the minnows, and it's, here's this big old bird standing there, and there ain't no fishing. You know, nothing's happening. And he has trouble... Uh,
anything to eat without fear of instant death. <laughs> I mean, you know, this spine really is a, is a... You've seen catfish, George. So, uh, the catfish can really louse up the ecology much faster than man can and much more effectively because uh, there's nobody really doing much about it, whereas people are attempting to stop themselves. So, uh, an ecology of an area can be... Uh, can be completely destroyed by one creature that enters that e that area. Now, uh, there have been others. For example, uh, uh, up in, uh, to give you an idea, I, I know a lake up in northern Michigan, for example, that used to be the breeding ground for many kinds of uh, waterfowl, ducks, and so forth. Well, what happened? The reason that this stopped almost overnight was because certain a certain species of turtle got into that lake that lives off ducks and duck eggs. And I want to tell you, those turtles went... I mean, you never saw anything like it. So what happened, of course, when, when the turtles ate all the ducks? Well, these particular ducks had lived on various types of plant that grew in this lake, which means that these, these ducks uh, lived off uh, certain types of wild rice, and thousands of them were there. They lived off the bottom, too. They lived... Uh, you know, you've seen ducks dive, and they... They ate weeds and so on. Well, now all of a sudden there aren't any ducks. What's that going to do? Well, the weeds grew like him fantastic. And within a few years, this entire lake was nothing but one vast, completely, it became a swamp of weeds. That's all. Nothing but weeds. And nothing but weeds and turtles and mud. <laughs> so, uh, did you know, of course everybody knows these things. I, I, I'm not telling you anything new, really. Well, I can tell you other things that, that are like that, and this may be per fairly boring, but I do think that there's been a lot of, uh, of uh, wild-eyed statements made on, on, uh, on television and radio and so forth about what ecology is. Most people think ecology is man throwing uh, Coke cans out of his car. That's ecology. They've confused littering with ecology. Littering is littering. Ecology is ecology. And what ecology is, basically, is a chain of life. A chain of life. It's the study of a chain of life, which means uh, each creature in a certain area is dependent on the life or the death of another creature all the way on back. And uh, that's it. And if that chain is destroyed or it's disturbed, well, then it changes the entire, what they call the ecology of the region. It changes the entire, the entire structure. Uh, other, uh, other examples of this, uh, one of the classic examples in recent years is the example of uh, Great Lakes, the Great Lakes problem. Now, maybe you, do you, any of you know anything about the fantastic problem of the lampreys? Well, here's what happened to show you what will happen to the ecology of an area. That uh, Lake Michigan, which is a long, deep lake, if uh, you've ever seen, take out a map, and you'll see it looks like a great pendulum hanging down. It's a tremendously deep lake up in certain areas. Six, seven hundred, twelve hundred feet deep in certain areas, and uh, it's very, it's very cold water, and it goes all the way on up to the Canadian uh, border, and up in that area of Masu, which is where all the Great Lakes come together, Lake Superior, Lake uh, Lake Michigan, and so forth. This used to be uh, a tremendous area for deep water game fish. That was not just uh, actually there were food fish like uh, whitefish, uh, lake trout. And one of the big industries all along that area was uh, fishing, not sport fishing, but deep water fishing for white lake trout and so forth. Well, when they put through the St. Lawrence Seaway, 
which was cut way up in the St. Lawrence River. You, you remember when they put through the seaway that came through, and that was a big thing, and they had a big ceremony and everything? Well, they cut, that meant they were cutting through, the salt water came down through there, you see. And almost overnight, a species of saltwater lamprey worked its way down through the St. Lawrence Seaway and into the Great Lakes. Now, what is a lamprey? Well, that's a fantastic creature. That if you have a, uh, if you have a, if you've never seen one, you're lucky. If you have seen one, you won't forget it. It's one of the most ugly, rotten-looking animals you've ever seen in your life. If if anything that comes out of nature can be called rotten, bad-looking, this is it. Well, what does it look like? Well, it looks like a, a, a sort of a cross between a fish, a snake, and an eel. And it has a sickly color to it. It looks like it's born dead, <laughs> if you know what I... It's about... The lampreys I've seen, they come about this long, roughly. Uh, they're about uh, anywhere from 8 inches to 10, 12, 13 inches long. That's, that's the lamprey. But where he really gets rotten-looking is his head. His head... If you, have a, if you have a dictionary, look it up. They've probably got a picture in there. His head is a round disc, flat, like a suction disc. And it's got inside of it, inside, it's got a ring of curious-looking teeth inside of this thing. So if you can imagine a suction disc, you know one of these rubber suction discs that has teeth in it? Well, what this thing does, it lives off other fish, and it will swim up to a fish. And here's this fish, any kind of a fish, a big fish laying there, see, uh, in a very perfectly healthy fish. And the lamprey will swim up to the side of it and attach itself, just like a suction disc, to the side of this fish and literally suck the juice out of that fish. It just absolutely kills them. There is no way. And so these things happen to also have no natural enemies, or at least they thought they did. They had no natural enemies. And they, they were fantastically destructive. And in, within a period of about five years, they killed almost the entire fish population of the Great Lakes. It was not man that did it. It was the lamprey that did it, friend. And uh, so what he did then, I, I can remember when, you know, walking along as a kid, I can remember walking along the shores of Lake Michigan, and you see this fish laying there that's been washed up on the shores. And, oh, what a scene. I mean, here attached to it, there's a round red sore on the side, about the size of a Kennedy half dollar, roughly, on the side of the fish. And it's raw and red. And attached to it, quite often, was this evil-looking snake-like thing. That's the lamprey. Well, uh, this, this thing was, uh, you know, talk about destroying the ecology. This thing took over the scene. And uh, within a short time... Forget it. There's no more commercial fishing to speak of all up and down the shores of the lake. And very few fish of that, of the old... Now they're beginning to come back because what they did, they discovered that there was a certain type of chemical or something that destroyed the very young lampreys. And now it's coming back. So here's a case of man really saving the ecology. It has nothing to do with littering. Now I'm going to tell you something I just saw two weeks ago. You ready for this? I was down on the west coast of Florida... All set, man? I'm down. How much time do we have? Three minutes. All right. I'll, I'll give you three minutes, enough time to make you sick. So uh, I'm on the west coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. 
and I was in a boat with a with an ecologist. In case you're curious, he's he's a state ecologist for the state of Florida, and we're floating along about a hundred feet from the shore. This is salt water, and what a fantastic sight! Every I'd say about every five or ten feet laying on the shore, washed up on the shore, are enormous, tremendous tarpon. Have you ever seen a tarpon? It's a beautiful fish. If you can imagine this great hundred-pound silver fish laying on the shore, rotting away in the sun, and there were thousands of them. And as far as you could see along the shoreline were dead fish. Did man do this? No. There's a thing you've probably heard of called the red tide, and nobody knows very much about it. It's an organism that's in the water that seems to go through cycles, and for a long time it just doesn't do anything. Then all of a sudden this organism multiplies catastrophically by the millions, billions, trillions, and it makes the surface of the water look vaguely rust-colored, and it moves up north. And it moved up north uh, through this area there. And what it does is it attacks the gills of fish. Great fish. They, 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 there's no way for them to get away from it. So as soon as this fish gets any of this red, uh, these regular organisms in his gills, he's literally drowned. His gills don't work anymore. He can't breathe. And he's dead. Now, this is really ecology. And this ecologist that I was with, he says, you know, I'm so mad... He said, I really get bugged. All these amateur people popping off all the time, constantly talking about the, you know, the bad stuff. The man, he said, oh, sure, we do. We do a lot of bad things. He's not, not trying to condone anything we do. He said, but, wow. He says, ain't nothing like man really in nature for real destructiveness of the ecology of an area. That's a, that's a, that, now, what I have just said is a controversial remark. Because one of the things that's deeply held by Western man is that the... I guess it goes back to the concept of original sin, I, to, get, to get really uh, philosophical here about it, is that the most evil thing on earth is man. He really believes this. And, uh, and, and to, to, to point out that, that we, we have... Uh, our destruction of the environment is really comparatively small compared... For example, you, you know, over and over again, they keep saying that man causes forest fires. Well... Man does cause some forest fires. But do you know what the number one reason for forest fires? Lightning. Not cigarettes. Sorry. Lightning. <laughs> so you, if you did away with cigarettes and matches tomorrow, you would still have catastrophic forest fires that would range. And by the way, most responsible ecologists will tell you that the forest fire is not nearly as bad as most people think that it does much good in nature. So, you know, <laughs> where do you go from here? But uh, this whole business of ecology uh, is, is, uh, is it's like most fads that sweep this country. People get all hung on a fad without really knowing much about the actual scientists. A few, few years ago, uh, everybody was hung on uh, psychiatry. And there were more people walking around cocktail parties blabbing off about a very specialized study of medicine than you'd ever believe. And, oh, yes, they knew all about that. And the average layman would sit there and talk about Adlerian versus Jungian psych. Oh, come on. What do you know about either Adler or Jung, except for what you heard once in a Paul Newman movie? You know? 
one night listening to the Johnny Carson show, Jane Fonda told you about it. So most people, most people are studying Indians by watching Dick Cavett. And uh, so it's, you know, <laughs> I, I, and I guess most people study ecology by watching 58-second spots that tell them not to throw beer bottles away. And that's what ecology is. Nobody mentions the red tide. Nobody mentions the lamprey. Nobody discusses the walking catfish. Nobody even deals ever with uh, things like uh, strange diseases like encephalitis that will kill millions of deer almost overnight. Well, you know, that's such a drag. Also, it's very complicated, you know. <laughs> so who needs that? Who needs that?